Thank you. How's everyone doing? Good. Um, I like to uh, look at the calendar and, and plan ahead, and I love this time of year as we get closer to Easter. And uh, I, I bring that up. I think I mentioned it last week. This is the time of year, uh, kind of heading into Easter and heading into Christmas when uh, you kind of have one more opportunity, something that's not as obvious the rest of the year, but one more opportunity where you can talk about the reason for Easter and what we're celebrating and why it's so significant. And, and so I would encourage you uh, to do that. Uh, don't miss the opportunity, right? Take every opportunity to give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, we are continuing today for really this week and next week, finishing up, uh, really looking at uh, in Philippians about joy, right? And, and because of joy, what does that mean for us? And so we'll kind of look at chapter three of Philippians today and uh, really looking at an analogy that Paul uses to talk about uh, because of joy, what do we do? Uh, we, we run in such a way as to win the prize. And Paul uses that analogy, uh, and we're, we're familiar with that kind of, of figurative language, uh, really to talk about how we're to conduct ourselves as as believers, right? If you're a Christian, then, then what's the reason why you do what you, di- you do, right? And uh, maybe how seriously we're to take our faith. And, and I think for, for us, at least a lot of us, that, that almost seems silly because obviously if we're Christians, we should take our faith seriously, right? If you got up early, to, to go to church, the, 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 those that were here early setting up and, and those that are preparing to teach and, and, and just, just being here on a Sunday when a lot of people you know are, are uh, you know, sleeping in or going to breakfast or hiking or whatever they do, right? It's because you take this seriously. Uh, but it's something we need to be reminded that uh, we need to do. If we are created in the image of God, then we've all broken the rules that were established by God, and we're condemned by those actions. And Jesus then took the penalty that was, that was ours, that we rightly earned, and he took that penalty by going to the cross to pay for us, right? Then we certainly should take our faith seriously, Paul uses that, that a sports analogy uh, to really describe, and, and I think that's something we're used to, right? We, we, because we talk in figurative language often, we're used to analogies, but I think it's really helpful for us to take a minute and actually consider what that means, because when we talk about sports today, it's a very different understanding than the way the, the first century reader of Paul's letter would have understood sports. And so before I get to reading Philippians, I just want to be clear, what, what should the, the 
un- our understanding of sports be from a Christian worldview? You see, in the first century uh, understanding of sports, uh, it would have looked very different, right? There was that uh, the early Olympic games and exercises, feats, feats of strength, um, those early games were often dedicated to pagan gods like Zeus or Nike. Wait, we still do Nike, don't we? Uh, and then um, the athletes often, excuse me, uh, competed unclothed, right? So the, the take on the first church was, look, there might be value in sports, but we really should be careful about our participation or even just uh, viewing those kind of events. And then you have the, uh, the gladiatorial events in the Roman Empire, which, which certainly Christians wouldn't have wanted to be involved in that. They, they often were, were violent. And, um, and then, of course, you get the, the, the whether it exactly happened this way, the Christians that were then, uh, you know, fed into the ring by, with uh, bears and lions, uh, that was an issue as well. Until the late 18th century, sports were, were just recreational, right? If you get past uh, those times of the Roman Empire, sports were just uh, recreational for the most part. And it's only in really the latter part of the 20th century that we have this rise of professional and just popular sports. And Christians have, have jumped on to that bandwagon, uh, I think for a lot of reasons, right? We can look at, you know, kind of replacing other forms of like aggression with sports and competition and things like that. But, but in a really kind of wholesome way, Christians have looked at it uh, as maybe an opportunity for uh, expression educationally. And we've as we use uh, analogies, and then also as a pl- platform for evangelism, right? We, we do use it for that. In his uh, Gospel Coalition essay, uh, More Than a Game of Theology of Sp- Sport, Jeremy Treat breaks down sports from a Christian worldview, and I think fairly helpful. Uh, he says, uh, first, God's stewardship uh, stewards, excuse me, are called to develop his creation. God didn't create the earth as a finished product, but rather as an unfinished pro- project. It was made with potential that needs to be developed. And then second, Adam and Eve were not only commanded to develop God's creation, they were also called to delight in it. And uh, so this is where the idea of play comes from. And uh, it's then... Uh, humanity called to develop and delight in God's creation. And so then to play is to creatively enjoy something for its intrinsic good, right? So the idea that, that sports might be something intrinsically good that, that we can participate in and enjoy and delight in is part of delighting in creation. So that's a really good, healthy aspect. The, the competition is good, right? It, it's it's something, I don't know about you, but for me, competition motivates me to do better, to excel, to do the best I can, right? In, in uh, what, third grade, fourth grade, when they had those, those times tables and they were 
tested and you got a star when you got yours all done perfectly within the certain amount of time. And my goal was to have more stars than anybody, right? The competition was motivation. And so there's some good there. But in a fallen world, like, like everything else, it gets distorted. And so sports then becomes an idol for some. And I talk about this because uh, I don't know that Christians often think through the implications of their actions. And we ought to, right? The, the aspect of things in our lives. How does that affect our relationship with God? I like sports. I like to play sports. I like to watch sports. But, but I'll be honest, if someone says, well, what, what's your team? Which team are you a fan of? And I go, well, first of all, I don't like the word fan, right? Because uh, a fan, it means an enthusiastic devotee of sports or a team. I don't want to be enthusiastic devotee of anything, but Jesus. And, and fan is actually short for fanatic, right? Well, wait a minute. Am I a fanatic about sports? Fanatic, uh, that, that has that single-minded zeal aspect. I, I don't think I'm single-mindedly zealous for sports because that would mean as opposed to uh, understanding my relationship with God and how I represent him. And so I don't like that word, but Paul uses sports analogies. In fact, there are tons in scripture. And, and so if Paul understood the value of sports, and we probably ought to understand it from that perspective. So by the way, don't misunderstand me. Sports are fine in context. Right? So understand it the way I think Paul used sports. And so we ought to as well. Right? Paul seems to appreciate sports, the skill, the competition, and the way he could help someone understand the relationship with God through their understanding of sports was beneficial. All right. So I said a lot to say that we can understand something about our walk with the Lord through our understanding of sports. Philippians 3, verse 12 and following says, uh, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So it's a maturity thing, he says. And if anyone of you thinks otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Where was the sports analogy? It's there, especially when we look at other verses, but it's this, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Any reader of Paul's letter would go, that's his sports analogy. He's used it in other places. In 1 Corinthians 9, 29, Paul writes, uh, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run so that only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Be First, he says, you're like, well, wait a minute. The prize is the reason to run the race, to, to earn something. It may be as simple as 
bragging rights, right? I ran, I won, right? Bragging rights. It might be I run for the exercise or I just run for fun, but it could be more official, right? The winner could receive a gold medal, a blue ribbon. Uh, The analogy breaks down there though, right? Because if the analogy is us in our walk with the Lord, running a race to win the prize, in the prize, there's only first place and everybody else comes in after that. But in our walk with the Lord, there's not just one winner, right? In a race, there's only the one, but in our faith, Everybody who runs in the race wins by running. All right, so you may not like this, but there's a participation prize. In faith, by participating, you win. So it's not simply winning, it's about how you win. That's why he said that I am straining forward toward the prize, right? There's this this goal and I'm straining for it, the how matters. It's not the end product, right? I came in first, guys. No, it's the how I went about doing it that matters. The ends don't justify the means. Regardless, the analogy of running a race to win a prize that Paul wrote about is explained pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. In Christ, the prize of running the race is that you get to be in the race, right? That, that in Christ, you are a follower of his, you are his child, you are adopted into his family, right? That's running the race. You're in the race. So then why is he having to tell them straining toward the goal? Run as if to win because the how you do it matters, What you do because of the cross, right? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, what you do, why you do it, how you go about it matters. Because of God's faithfulness, what will you do? All right, this one I'm going to have to qualify, but here's the way I'm going to say it, and then we'll qualify it. You should put effort into your faith as if you had to earn salvation, All right, this is what I mean. Look, there is no works theology here. You cannot earn your salvation. So I probably phrased this poorly. The idea is that because of what God did for us, because of the cross, you are saved. Not because of anything you have done, but you should keep working at it. Right? There should be effort on your part, not because you can earn anything, but because you're grateful. Kind of the idea is there's a lot of things that, that I could do for my kids. Right? I could go in, I've got an 11-year-old, maybe her room's messy. I could go in and clean her room. Right? I could do that. But if I go and do it, it means she's not doing it. She needs to do it. There's something she needs to do. She needs to learn how to clean. She needs to learn how to organize. She needs, right, there's there's growth required of her. She needs to participate. Now, the room isn't going to be near as good because of what I could do for her. But she needs to learn how to do it. And that's the only way she's going to get better at it. 
we need to put in effort. Not that by doing so we get saved. And in fact, some of you will go, can go too far this way. And then it all comes down to achievement for the kingdom. It's not that either. It is very much finding this middle ground of God already did it and I'm saved. So I don't have anything to do or I have everything to do. The middle road is God did it and I don't have to do anything, but out of gratitude, I'm grateful I get to. You see the difference? That's where we need to fall. We need to fall in. I'm so grateful that he gives me a part to play. Participating with him. We need to be careful about that. By the way, if you don't like the way I wrote that, then then how would you say it? How would you, in your understanding of what God has called you to, that, that he did everything on the cross and you get to participate with him? How would you phrase that? Right? I get to do this. Even though by doing it, I'm not earning anything other than the prize is that I get to be in the race. We talked about last week, if you, if you eat well every day, there's a danger you start to take it for granted. Ugh, steak and lobster again. Well, in the kingdom of God, it's like that. We don't take it for granted. Here's what I've been blessed with. So I don't have anything to do. No, it's, I'm so grateful for what God did. I now get to serve him. Ephesians 2, 8, uh, 9, and 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are saved by grace, not by works. It's what he did. It is his work. But we were created. We're his workmanship created for good works. To do something, to serve him, to to represent him, to be a part of the church and contribute. Saved by grace. We don't get to boast, but then we get to do work as workmanship, as as his product to serve him. Paul gives us some direction in how to do this, how to put in some effort. Uh, Verse 17 of Philippians 3, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So you can read in Paul's words the the tension, right? He's talking about people that at one point were considered brothers. Now, I don't 
I don't think it's possible that if you are saved in Christ that you can then fall away and not be saved. I don't, I don't see that in Scripture. What I do see is people that were there participating, seemed to be around, and, and, and you know, as much as we know, they, they seem to fit in, but all of a sudden aren't. And they're not. And the only ex- explanation Paul gives is he says, well, their God is their belly. It means that, that, that they saw greater value to themselves personally to not participate in what the church was doing. They're, they're, what they did, this thought was more important was things other than the cause of Christ. And so he cautions them. As you mature, mature in your faith, he says, be on guard. And here's a couple of ways. So these are just signs of maturity. Uh, number one, following the example of mature believers. So it, as you grow in your faith, you should be looking to mature believers and then follow their examples. Paul wrote, imitate me. Right? Keep your eyes on those who follow our example, he said. Now, that takes some confidence for Paul to go, okay, do what I do. Follow me. Follow my example. But whether you say it or not, right? Whether you're like, hey, everybody, follow me. You need to realize there are people that do. They will see you. They see how you behave. They see how you talk. They see how you conduct yourself. And that is how they're going to imitate you. There's always someone. So be careful with the image you're promoting. So we should all be striving, running our race to be like Jesus. So when they see you, that they do then things like Jesus. So Paul says, look, imitate me. So I'm curious, who do we imitate, right? Who are we then to follow their example? Well, the easy ones, of course, are like Jesus. We should do what Jesus would do. Um, we should, uh, we should follow the examples of, of Paul, right? So as we read through scripture, what we understand of, of what the events were like and what Jesus would do in our situation or Paul, that's what we ought to do. Those can be harder and more challenging, right? Because you're like, okay, I have things to do that, that Jesus and Paul never dealt with, right? No internet, no cars, no... The you know, jobs were, were definitely very different. Uh, you know, so, societal pressures are different. So what do we do? Well, a couple other areas. One, there might be authors that you read that you know this is a, a, a person of integrity. And, and so I'm learning from them as an example, as a mentor. But probably the best area This is why we have the local church. It's why we have each other, right? So this is an environment in which there is someone who's walked before you and the things that they do and the way they do it can set an example for you. And and even better than just, I'm kind of watching and noticing, you can ask them, right? Because they're here. And so you should know who you could go to. And it, it can be a challenge because you're like, I kind of know some people, they're my age, they're my peer group. Uh, but when you look around, there's people that have walked 
where you're walking, and they've gone there before, and because of their longer time walking with the Lord, they have more examples, more experience doing that. And so they would be ones that you should imitate, ones that you should consult and say, hey, what do you think? Here's what I'm dealing with. How would you deal with that? Right? That's uh, when Paul says, imitate me. He's telling this to people that didn't see him every day. And so they can kind of go, well, okay, so my exposure to Paul was he was here for a few weeks, you know, four years ago. And then we've got some letters he wrote. That's how we imitate him. Well, thankfully, we've got the letters too, but we don't, we never got to see Paul. But what we get is the benefit of seeing brothers and sisters that are more mature, that have spent more time with the Lord and, and experiencing this. We get to then do what they do, ask their opinion. You see, God, the church isn't just uh, an accident. Well, we kind of group together. No, we're, the church exists for a reason. God brought us together. And this is one of the reasons. Not the only reason, but it's a huge reason. Uh, uh, I was thinking about it this week. That's one of the reasons uh, community groups are so important. Because it's kind of built in time with people, the more time you spend with them, the easier it is to, to know what's going on in their life, to follow their example, to be an example. And then when, when you have questions to go, you know, hey, buddy, right? Because you know somebody that you can ask. So I would encourage that. If that's not something you've been involved in, I would encourage it. It's very helpful. Uh, uh, it's also, I was thinking about it this week in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. It actually follows chapter 11. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer points out the giants of the faith, specifically in the Old Testament, right? Because that's who everybody would have known. Those giants of the faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and he describes all of these believers, and not just them, he actually talks about uh, those that, that crossed the Red Sea, and, and uh, so the, the Jewish people at the time. And he says, this great cloud of witnesses. So this is what he says. This is Hebrews chapter 12, just the first couple of verses that I'm referring back to chapter 11. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by, by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Wait, there's another sports analogy from the writer of Hebrews. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to follow the example of faith, of these giants that went before us. And, and of course, uh, now, uh, 2,000 years later, not only do we have those in the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and we have all the, the faithful believers for 2,000 years, and those that he brought together with us. So, 
But we need to point out that the great cloud of witnesses he cites, these weren't successful people, right? In that kind of cultural idea of what success is. These examples of faith that he gives, these are godly people. In fact, Hebrew points out specifically that they all died before seeing the fulfillment of what God had promised them. Like every one of them, right? They, they, they were, Moses was promised uh, the, that he would lead the people of the promised land, but he didn't get to go in because he kind of blew it. Uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah were promised, right? Abraham was told, you'll be the father of of so many, it will be like the stars in the heaven. And he didn't see it, right? He had a son, Isaac, right? Isaac was promised and uh, Jacob was promised and Joseph was promised and Joseph died at basically in exile in Egypt, right? All of these promises, yet they remained faithful. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, look, you need to, to make sure you're following the example, be faithful, And then he also warns, Paul warns, to avoid the pitfalls of those who have fallen away, right? So you have, he says, imitate me, but be careful, others have fallen away. That's that's why the, the heart attitude says to follow spiritual leadership within spiritual limits, right? Scripture's a check on, on who you follow, and so we always use that as our, our defining characteristic scripture. But then we follow leadership. So it's possible that, that there are distractions that would lead you away from the church. In Proverbs 1, uh, the writer, uh, this is uh, uh, Solomon basically Uh, giving a warning to his son. Verse 10, he says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent, right? If there's bad people, don't go along with them. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder, throw it in your lot among us. Throw in your lot among us, right? Join in, he says. Uh, we will all have one purse. We'll, we'll gather everything together. We'll, we'll get plunder. They sound like pirates. Don't be a pirate, he says. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path, right? There's this, this caution. There's a, a lure. They will come along and go, look, We're going to have to do some naughty things, but there's a benefit here, and it's going to be precious things and plunder, and we're going to have, our purses will be full. Now, that may not be enticing to you. There might be other things that are enticing, that you're like, you know, there's definitely some things that go on that that seem like fun that I want to participate in. And there's going to be plenty of people that would love to see you Stop what you're doing and join in with them. They're, they're, they're going to uh, desire to entice you to join in. Uh, it, might, it might be something like, you know, I know you've got church, but here's what we're doing instead. 
right? But we're not being legalistic and saying you can't ever miss church. But be on guard. Because the next thing might seem like such a small thing too, right? Very seldom are they going to go, come on, join in. We're going to ambush some people and steal their stuff, right? That's not going to be the lure for most of us. Most of us are like, no way, 911. But there will be things that come along that you are enticed. You need to be on guard. The promise of following will always sound great, right? It might be the the precious goods and plunder, the get rich quick, the this will be fun, there's pleasure, it's something you'll enjoy. Just one little glance, just a second thought, you're on the wrong path. I've got another sports analogy because this will be a good one. Uh, the one thing that I know, I know about basketball. And when you're shooting a, a basket, there's several things you have to do. But, but here's the thing. Where your eyes look is where you want the ball to go, right? There's such a thing as a no-look pass. There's really not such a thing as a no-look shot, right? And the further you are from the basket, it just doesn't work. I know Steph Curry takes the shot and turns around, but he's still looking when he takes the shot. Because where your eyes go is where the ball goes. And when you are distracted and you look away from the, the proper imitation, right? I want to I follow Paul. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow the godly men and women that God has put into your sphere of influence. When you look away is when you get off track and you go the wrong way. Keep your eyes focused on what they're supposed to, where they're supposed to be. Uh, so Paul says it like this: Philippians three, verse seven. Whatever was to uh, was my gain, was, whatever was a gain to me, I count a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things a loss compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having, not, uh, having my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through Jesus, through, Christ, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul made an adjustment in what he valued, right? He had it all figured out. But the things that were to his benefit before, when he got his priorities right, things changed for him. And so we need to prioritize what is most important. Paul was zealous for God. He had a lot going for him. He had education and influence, the ear of powerful people. But he realized those things didn't matter. What mattered most was Jesus and him crucified. He said, though I myself, this is Philippians 3, 4, and 6, 4 through 6, though I myself could have such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, 
persecuting the church. As to righteousness and the law, faultless. Success and influence is not enough. It wasn't enough for Paul. Once you understand what's real and true and right, you want to run the race to win the prize, how you go about it matters. For Paul, it wasn't just being excited, zealous. It was about doing it the right way. I've got some next steps for you today. Uh, First of all, make a practical change in my life that reflects the mercy and grace God has shown me. Right? Am I, am I doing things that reflect what God has done in my life? Might need to make a change. Uh, second one, stop following ungodly or unbiblical guidance. Now, that might be the references you use to kind of influence you. So it might be social media. You know, you might need to, to, to turn off Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Uh, if you're older, Facebook, I don't know. It might be the books you read, the movies you watch, maybe some of the people you're spending a lot of time with. You need to be on guard. And so stop following that kind of influence that will distract you and get you to go off in the other way. Where your eyes go, there your heart goes. And then I have a verse. You might want to memorize this. This is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Uh, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That sounds right. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That sounds pretty good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love and your grace. We're grateful for Jesus.